I'd like to start with a question today. Get your mind thinking. Question. Do you know someone who is a perfectionist? As you're thinking, you can stop ribbing your spouse, but as you're thinking, a perfectionist is a person who refuses to accept anything short of perfection. You think about that. Any, someone who refuses to accept anything short of perfection. Another question, is this word, if it, uh, perfectionist, is it a positive or negative word? We were talking about traditions in our Sunday school class, and is that positive or negative, good or bad? Perfectionist. If someone calls you a perfectionist, is that a compliment or not? Would you agree that maybe we're all a little bit like this in some way or another? For example, women, if you're baking bread, uh, you don't prefer a flop. You prefer nice, rounded, perfect loaves, if I'm not mistaken. If you're baking a cake, again, we don't like flops. If you're sewing a dress, women admit it, right? I grew up in a house with a couple women. I'll hold any extra details that I have, but they prefer perfection. What about men when you're washing your vehicle? Skippers is not your end goal. You want it clean. How about if you're painting a picture? What about if you're painting a room in your house? Or painting your entire house? You know, you take time, you pick the perfect color, you pick the right color, make sure everything's right, take care, and uh, the end result is perfection or somewhere close to it. How about uh, just shortly here, we'll be, some of you guys will be planting your gardens. And farmers, your fields. I heard technology today in planters is over the top. Perfect depth, perfect width, everything. Uh, we have a bunch of electricians here. What about when you're doing your wiring jobs? Whether it be a house or a ag building. What about when you're putting flooring down? Gentlemen, perfection. Why? Because people walk around like I'm doing. They look at every corner, make sure everything cut right. They want perfection. How about if you're getting a haircut? Now we're stepping on some toes. What about if you're giving a haircut? I say cut it, dear, when it, you're the one that's going to look at it anyway. Some, some uh, want perfection. What about clothing? Is it the same way in your house that it is in ours? If it doesn't fit perfectly, it stays hanging in the closet. And I, th- I think we're all perfectionists to some degree. But the message title this morning is Perfect in Christ. And I take that from Colossians, which is the study we're going through. Verse 28, I'll read that. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Okay? We'll get to that before long. But this is Paul's uh, purpose. That we may, here it is, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So hang on to the word perfect. We'll get back to that shortly. But for a little review of our study through Colossians, where our theme is complete in Christ, and we studied this uh, a number of times, but born-again believers are saints with faith in the Lord. We are walking worthy. We have been called to a high standard of holiness. We are thankful the Lord has qualified us to be together with him in glory. And we remember that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. 
through Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. We have been forgiven for our past sins. Today, we are serving Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. He is the creator. He was before all in time. By him, all things consist. Jesus is in control of the universe. He is the head of the church. As we were singing earlier this morning, Jesus Christ is all we need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power, holiness forevermore. My redemption full and sure. He is all that we need. In Jesus Christ, the fullness of God dwells. Jesus made peace when he shed his blood. And today he is able to present us to God holy and blameless. Verse 23. If we remain grounded and settled in the faith. And that brings us up to verse 23 where we concluded the last time we were looking at this study. And we conclude with thank you Jesus and also what a mighty God we serve. The title of the message this morning I repeat is perfect in Christ Jesus. There are three points for the message this morning taken from the remainder of chapter 1 verses 24 through 29. Point number one is rejoice in suffering. Point number two is the hope of glory. And number three is perfect in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1, I'll read verses 24 through 29. Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my body, in my flesh for the body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus." Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Point number one, rejoice in suffering. In verse one of this chapter, Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is an ambassador of the gospel. He was commissioned by Christ, a messenger he was sent. In verse 23, he calls himself a minister, which is a Christian teacher or pastor, also a servant. So this is who he was, and even though he was um, faithfully serving in the area where he was called, he tells us this morning he is rejoicing while he is suffering. And we think of suffering, you know, some may find it easy to rejoice uh, when God blesses our lives, but then in the same hand, struggle or find it difficult to praise and thank him through our trials. Well, as we think about that, Paul, while writing this letter, he was in prison in Rome. And I listened to a speaker this week, and the speaker was was going through Philippians, but which Paul was in prison writing that letter as well. And he was telling, uh, maybe he studied a little bit deeper than I did, but he was saying Paul would be chained to a prison guard in six-hour shifts. So in walks the prison guard, and they they switch chains and chain to Paul for six hours, and every six hours they switch. That could have been the situation that he was in when he was writing this letter as well. Chained to a guard. But while he was there, chained to a guard, his focus was not on himself. Though in prison, his focus was rather on the advancement of the gospel. And we think about that. How can you rejoice or do anything profitable while you're suffering? 
Well, we too can do that when we take time to focus on what God is doing in our life rather than focus on our, focusing on our current condition. Uh, so often we tend to, uh, if we're going through a trial, tend just to focus on ourselves. And Paul here is, is showing us, while suffering, focus on what is good. Try to use the time that we have to figure out what God is trying to teach us through what we, or the experience that we are going through. And you might say, Leon, it's easier said than done. Correct and true it is, but as we saw earlier in this chapter, that God is in control of our lives. And nothing is going to happen to us that he is not aware of. Do we, do we believe that this morning? God's in control. Nothing's going to happen out of his knowing. He knows what we're going to face. So what do we need to do? Trust him to help us through our days. But Paul rejoiced that he had the opportunity to suffer on behalf of the church. And he compares, in verse 24, he compares his sufferings for the sake of the gospel to the way that Christ suffered on our behalf. A little more on suffering, 2 Timothy 3.12, here again Paul writing, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And when I see the word shall, the word shall, you think of the old uh, the Ten Commandments back there in Exodus, thou shalt do this or shall not do that. So it almost seems like a command. All that will live godly will suffer. And I, but I feel like he's showing us how to respond when trials do arise. And basically rejoice if you suffer for the sake of Christ. And maybe many of your minds went to the familiar verse in Matthew 5.10, Jesus speaking, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can we do that on our own? We cannot. But when Jesus is in our hearts, in our lives, we can. He said, Blessed they were the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No, we don't go through life dwelling on the thought that we're going to suffer. But what we do need, we need to remember that as a child of God, we will be given special graces during the times of intense suffering. And some, some words of comfort, if you think of suffering, is that the Lord feels the sufferings of his disciples, especially going through times of, of when we are being mistreated. So I repeat what we said earlier, that nothing is going to happen to us that's outside the sight of God. He sees and knows what we are going through. So there will be persecution and suffering for those who proclaim the gospel message, and Paul is telling us to rejoice through that time as he is rejoicing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Moving on, the second point, the hope of glory, verses 25 through 27. So we remember Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, telling them about his special ministry to the Gentiles. Paul was given the responsibility of informing Gentile believers that they have equal acceptance along with the Jews before God. So a Gentile is every person of non-Jewish heritage. So we're either Jews or Gentiles, correct? And this morning, I'm, sitting here, I'm standing here this morning talking to a, gent, a group of Gentile people. We do not have a Jewish heritage. So he's writing to do what? I made a minister, which is given unto me, and here is his purpose, end of verse 25, to fulfill the word of God. Or we could say, to fully preach the doctrine of God. In Romans, Paul said, Through many signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem I have fully preached the gospel of God. Again, we're thinking about uh, fulfilling 
the Word of God or fully preaching or preaching in its entirety. We know uh, Paul, after his conversion on Damascus Road, he was dedicated to spreading the gospel message. Paul was, we know him as a very bold individual, committed and determined and driven to be changing lives with the, the gospel. But take note, Paul is not preaching his message, but rather faithfully proclaiming the gospel message, giving all the glory and honor to Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is he preaching? Verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. He is preaching the mystery of the gospel. This mystery he's talking about was not revealed at this point. A mystery is a truth that has not previously been revealed. The biblical word for a mystery is a concealed truth which God is pleased to unveil when the time is right. So maybe the... He's building up, uh, anticipation is building here. He's talking about this ministry which was hid. And God can reveal it when the time is correct. And it has been revealed through the apostles and prophets in the New Testament. And obviously he's about to reveal it, so it's not a mystery. It has to be continued to be, to be kept a secret. And the time is right. And the mystery that's revealed in verse 26 there is that, to the Gentiles, is that Christ is in you. The, the, Christ in you is your only hope of glory. So uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is Jesus Christ in, in the lives of every Gentile believer. Today, the Holy Spirit, which is part of the Trinity, is dwelling within. And that is the reason for our certainty of our salvation, which will be completed and enjoyed in glory in the eternal world if we remain faithful. Going back there to verse 23. Ephesians has a lot to say about this subject. Ephesians 3, 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What does it mean to be a fellow heir? The Gentiles will be heirs along with the Jews. Romans, 12, Romans 10, 12, there is no difference between the Greek, the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So go back to um, Paul writing this letter. Imagine being at that meeting during the time this letter was delivered and read to the Colossian church. The Jews are no longer superior to the Gentiles. There is no difference in God's eyes. The Lord loves both. The Lord loves and dwells in all who call upon his name. And here we have Paul courageously preaching this life-changing message among the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery that is revealed is Christ in you. It was no secret in the Old Testament that the Gentiles will be saved, but that Christ would dwell in Gentile converts was unknown at this time. And now Paul is saying, the mystery that has been kept is now revealed. I can now tell you about this mystery. And further explaining the mystery, Paul states, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's he talking about there? If we jump ahead in Colossians verse three, chapter 3, verse 4, we see, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So Jesus Christ and his shed blood, he placed the Gentiles in perfect equality with Israel. Not preferring the Jew over the Gentile, all on one line. Ephesians 2, 4. He is our peace who made both one and has broken down that middle wall of partition 
between us. Ephesians 2 beautifully describes how that separation between the Jew and the Gentile was removed. And that's explained in in, uh, verses 16 and 17. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Having slain the enmity thereby, and what he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. The Gentiles were far off and the Jews were close. He came and he's preaching peace to both. So it comes the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because of that, the Gentile was reconciled to God back in verse 20. And then we stop and we look at that and we just say, thank you, Jesus. When Christ is in our hearts, his presence is indeed our only hope of glory. So genuine believers, including both the Jew and the Gentile, now possess or have within that wonderful riches, riches of the indwelling presence of Christ. We have been blessed with that along with others. And it's a beautiful picture. At one time, as we see back in verse 21, we were alienated, we were strangers, we were separated from God. That the Gentile people were outcasts. But now we are brought near to God, brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. Why did Paul preach Jesus and uh, Christ and him crucified? Just it, The gospel message just comes alive when we think back to that cross and the difference that made for you and I here today. And because of that, we get to Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here again, I mentioned earlier a, a beautiful picture, but there we see it again. John 3, 16, Romans 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no one that God is looking down upon today and saying, you're not good enough to be saved. All who call upon him will be saved. But the, the, the choice and the decision lies on our hearts. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the word hope? What does the word hope mean? What is that referring to? Hope is a joyous expectation. Hope means the certainty of the future. And for the Christian, it means a joyful and confident expectation of salvation. Are we looking forward to that day? Glory speaks of that which will belong to the Christian when we reach our eternal home. You know, we say we're headed for heaven. We say we're headed for glory. It's speaking of that glorious state which you believe we will experience in heaven. So thus we see the hope of glory referring to the certainty of heaven. When, when Christ's life and when his character and his virtues and his values, and his thoughts, and his attitudes, and his deeds are present in the life of a Christian, it's evidence that we are headed for glory. We're called Christians, which is what? Little Christ. It's not good to mock and mimic some people on this side of eternity. However, we are supposed to be more, to do that exactly, be exactly as much like Christ as, as possible. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is within, correct, but we are still looking for something better to come. Wow, I think 
yeah, we're blessed today to have the presence of, of Christ within. The hope of glory is still waiting. Which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, you know the rest of the verse. We are all men most miserable. Yes, this morning, every born-again believer has Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within. But we're waiting for something more to come. When we will leave this earth and experience uh, glory for our, eternally, our eternal home in heaven. So today, as we're here this morning, it's great to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit on this side of eternity. But one day, every believer is going to see Christ face to face and dwell with him forever in, uh, in, in glory. The unbeliever today is living in the absence of this hope. Verse, tw- uh, verse 27 is not for the unbeliever. The unbeliever is living in the absence of this hope while the believer is looking forward, which I trust we are, to praising the Lord around the throne in glory. And we can read about that in Revelation 9, 7, 9, and 10. And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with their white robes, palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Now there we just took a glimpse into what we will experience in glory when we get there. We're going to be uh, arrayed in white robes, and it looks like uh, some people say there's going to be a certain amount of people there. I repeat, it says a great multitude. It, the, the Bible tells us no man can number. It says all nations, all kindreds, all people and tongues, different languages obviously, we're all going to be there standing before the throne, clothed in white robes, pictured in your mind, having, we have got palms in our hands, and just praising God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Moving on, point number three, perfect in Christ Jesus, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect in Christ. So the mystery of the gospel has been revealed in verse 27. And we saw that through the blood of Jesus Christ, God accepted the Gentiles, extended the plan of salvation to them, along with the blessing of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And chapter 1 points out just a number of blessings that Jesus accomplished when he shed his blood there on the cross. And it's not that I think that we're here at Myerstown, we're minimizing the power of the blood, but... In case we forget, Paul clearly shows us that there is power in the blood. Two quick questions. Where would you be, we be today, we'll put it all together, where would we be today if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ? And question number two is very similar to that. Where would we be tomorrow? We can't minimize the fact that there's power in the blood, and that blood that was shed in that cross just changed our lives. And we, as I, a little introduction this morning the blood of Jesus Christ is what had done for each one of us and the blessings that he accomplished. So verse 28, whom we preach. Uh, Paul is preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, the first part of the verse says, but we preach Christ crucified. We go back to the, the Gospels. It's a perfect picture of Christ's walk on this earth. And then we get to his crucifixion and his resurrection and that's where we can benefit so much from that. The biblical method of, of spreading the gospel is twofold, and Paul has it here, is preaching and teaching, whom we preach and teach, every man with all wisdom. 
Preaching is the proclamation of the gospel, instructing the mind, and moving the will. Teaching is the art of dispensing truth to gain knowledge of the scripture. And he says, warning every man. We tend to think of a warn as uh, the word is commonly used in a sense of, of cautioning against danger or error. But the Greek word here for warn means to put in mind, to admonish, and to exhort. So basically what Paul is doing this morning, he is kind of encouraging us or informing us of what is to come. Paul was diligent in his teaching. He looks here, it's not just enough to warn. Once people have been warned and responded to the warning by inviting Christ into their hearts, people need to be taught. People need to be taught how to live and walk in Christ. Church, I, I, I believe we fall short when we expect a new believer to know how to walk in Christ. So what do we do? We need to teach people how to walk worthy, as we saw back there in verse 10. How do we teach? With all wisdom. We need to teach with practical application, knowing how to apply it to our hearts and to our lives as we live out the great teachings of Christ. We need to know how to live, follow Christ day by day, and to re- as we see in verse 24, to rejoice when we do face trials and temptations. And we get to this verse and a few more questions. And it's simply, why did Paul tell us he was commissioned by Christ to spread the gospel as an apostle? Why did Paul tell us in verse 23 and verse 20 and 25 he is committed to being a minister of the gospel? Why did he tell us in verse 24 he's smiling even though he's suffering and in prison? Why did he reveal the mystery of the gospel in verse 27? And we look at all those questions and we say, Paul, why were you so adamant about the gospel? Then it comes down to verse 28. He, he, he was telling us, brothers and sisters, this is the message. This is the difference that the cross makes in your heart and your life. This is what Jesus, Jesus accomplished for you. And if you, if you believe and if you remain uh, steadfast, verse 23, you will be presented holy to God. And we have that hope of glory. We have heaven waiting. Why is he going through all this? What's your goal? We play games and we have uh, projects and our goal is to win and to finish well and so on and so forth. What was Paul's goal? And he, he explained it so perfectly, so so clearly, because the perfect is the word I want to use, Paul says, I'm going through this because I want to present every, every, every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I often ask the question, why, by def- if, <clears throat> if we're negligent in our Christian lives, why by default will we fall away from Christ? Why can't we be negligent and fall towards Christ? I don't, I don't have an answer other than it doesn't work that way. But Paul went through all he's saying so he can present us perfect. Why? Because if we're not dedicated and committed in our Christian lives, we will become imperfect. The Christian walk is a daily walk that takes time and effort. We need to put effort into it. I think I mentioned it before. Um, Maybe not tomorrow morning, but most mornings when you wake up or shortly thereafter, the sun is shining. We don't have to do anything about it. The sun comes up, and then in the evening it goes back down. It happens by default. No, Christ is in control. But in our spiritual lives, it doesn't happen by default. 
If you are a vibrant Christian, it's because you are spending time in God's Word. If you are a, a <clears throat> lacking, it's because you are not spending time in God's Word. Why does it work that way? The nation as a whole is falling away from God. America needs revival. America needs revival. And maybe it can start right here. We can be the hands and feet to Jesus Christ. But are we committed in our walk with the Lord? A new believer in Christ is not perfect. But are we working that direction? Are we closer to perfection today than what we were three months ago? Or a year ago? Or five years ago? Are we becoming more and more and more like Christ? Paul said, I want to present you perfect in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm teaching you this. That's why I'm showing you the way to the cross. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. His goal was to present everyone in pure perfection. I asked the question again, or did I miss it earlier? Or I think I did. Are we as particular in our spiritual lives as we are in everyday living? I'm not proud of this, but I'll say a little story here. I sat down and I asked Jared, I said, um, I kind of gave him a little introduction before you guys got it. Do you know someone who is a perfectionist? And Jared said, yeah, I'm talking to one. And that wasn't my point. <clears throat> but so, and that's why I asked if it's a compliment or not. But are we as particular in our, in our spiritual life as we are in our everyday living? I, I, I will admit, there's, I like to have things, yeah. Don't ask my wife, she'll agree. But anyway, what about in my spiritual life? And we can be so adamant about uh, X, Y, Z, but yet in our spiritual life, it's like whatever. It'll happen by default. No, it won't. Do we spend as much time in the Word of God as we do in making sure our lives are, are perfect? Perfect might be a word that we generally Admit in our, in our, uh, omit in our vocabulary, along with saints, as we saw in verse 2, especially we talk about ourselves. But I would like to echo Paul's goal, along with the goal here at Myerstown, that everyone here this morning will be able to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day with a perfect heart. And you know, I can preach it, but you have to do it. The responsibility lays on your hand. Perfect means uh, complete, full-grown, and mature in every detail. When we gaze at a, a newborn baby and we see the baby, we say, that's a perfect baby. He or she is a miracle from the Lord, created with perfection, although, might I add, born with a sinful nature. But the word perfect also means achieve a progressive to achieve a progressive well-rounded maturity now if we go back just uh, a few weeks in our Sunday school lesson we completed a study of a man of great patience and perfect was one of his character traits according to the King James the word of God Job 1.1 there was a man whose name was Job he was perfect and upright feared God and avoided evil so if I would ask you for the definition of perfect, most likely it would be something to this. When we think of perfect, we think of being entirely without fault or defect, flawless. 
So was Job, did Job fit up to that definition? No. Job was not absolutely without sin, yet Job was considered perfect. The definition for the word perfect as used in Job uh, is complete, coupled together, plain, undefiled, and upright. So another question could be asked, do, um, can we be perfect on this side of eternity? Complete, undefiled, and upright. Matthew 5.48, words of Jesus, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Ephesians 4.13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. James 1.4, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I think it depends on the definition that you put in there for perfect. I know someone who has room for improvement. But church, we're, we're called to, a, 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 uh, to be complete in various applications in, in our spiritual lives. Then I had to think of the, another familiar verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, can we add a, or a woman, I put away childish things. Yes, a child will be a child. But when we become mature adults, we put away childish things and we move on to maturity and completeness. Again, moving on. I'm confident that through Jesus Christ, we have what we need to be perfect. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and he will show us right and wrong, black and white. We have a power within that is stronger than the power of this world. An encouragement here, church, let's move on to perfection in Christ so that we can be welcomed home in that glorious day and live together with him for eternity. What a blessing. We are at the end of chapter 1. A little summary here of chapter 1. Uh, we start out that the man named Epaphras, who was a leader in the Colossian church, and while visiting Rome, he met Paul, and Paul was in prison, and he gave a report of the conditions of the church there at, at Colossae. And, and this man sensed two dangers in the church, the danger of falling back into their old pagan ways, and the second danger was falling to the advice of false teachers. And in response, Paul sent the letter that we just covered chapter 1 of, in which he proclaimed Christ as the all-sufficient Savior, the one who is sovereign, the one who created the universe, and is sustaining the universe each and every day. Paul didn't spend much time warning about the dangers of false teachings as he did about imparting positive truth, that Jesus Christ is absolutely our only hope for future glory. It's only through Jesus Christ. Little story here. In the early 1890s, there was a meeting in Chicago of uh, representatives from many of the world's religions. And the purpose of this meeting was to share positive points, and eventually come up with a new world religion. Some of the friends of D.L. Moody wanted him to attack the Parliament of Religions, which that's what this meeting was called, but he refused. 
Moody said, I quote, I am going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that people will want to turn to him. Dwight Moody knew that the preaching, uh, that preaching Christ, the supreme, all-sufficient Christ, will make an impact on the people, and it did. Moody rented several buildings in the city of Chicago. He, along with other evangelists in all parts of the city, clearly presented Christ as the Savior. And the Chicago campaign of 1893 saw several thousand people come to faith in Jesus Christ. What did he say? I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that people will want to turn to him. He knew that you can't force anyone, but he made him so attractive that thousands turned. In conclusion, Colossians 1 presents Jesus Christ as our all-sufficient Savior. Jesus Christ is supreme in every realm. Christ has the power to create the world, he has the power to redeem sinners, and he has the power to control the universe. And those who cling to the gospel, he will one day bring into his father's house. There is no need for any other mediator between the humans, human beings and God, as the false teachers of Colossians were trying to say. Serving the Lord is a great delight. Although, as we talked earlier, there's a task involved. It's a great privilege to let our day-by-day conduct move under the lordship of this glorious person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask again, are we as particular in our spiritual lives as we are in our everyday living? And church, let us strive to move on to perfection in Jesus Christ. Out with sin and in with pure godly living. So we can hear them and blessed words on that day. Welcome home. Why else are we here? Why did Paul... Preach and teach, I repeat, so I can present every man, every woman, perfect in Jesus Christ. That's Paul for prayer. Lord, we come before you here this morning. Lord, you have been so good to us, and so good for us just to continue to look into your word and to be reminded of the blessings that you accomplished when you willingly gave your life for our sins and you shed your precious blood. And today, we can benefit so much if we are faithful to you. And I pray that each soul here this morning, if they have not yet already, they would accept you as their personal Savior. God, your desire is that none should perish. And Paul is saying here that he wants to present every man perfect. And that's wants that to be our goal here at church today. And every day, Lord, that we could present everyone perfect in Christ. Lord, you created us. You know who we are. But I pray, Lord, we can have that desire within just to cleanse our lives so we can be pure when we meet you on that day. Thank you for each one who come out. Just bless us. Continue to be with us. And maybe, Lord, just walk in your footsteps. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Nate, have a song, please. <clears throat>